1: Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined, as always, by Alex Barth. A middle of June, June 21st, to be exact, edition of Patriots Beat. Not a whole lot going on. We did get some Patriots-adjacent news today, a retirement from Rob Gronkowski, which we'll get to here in a second. But this is our live Q&A show of the week, so if you have questions, Please drop them in the chat. We'll get to as many as we possibly can. Obviously, those questions can be about Gronk, or they can be about the Patriots and the coming up season and the off season here as we head into summer break. But let's start as people start kind of trickle in here. Uh, let's start with the Gronk news today, Alex. Rob Gronkowski announcing on social media that after 11 seasons in the NFL, he's hanging it up, nine with the Patriots, two with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, did tell Adam Schefter that it might not be over just yet, right? If Tom Brady picks up the phone and calls Gronk in a couple of months and says, hey, why don't you come back and play football for Tampa down the stretch? Rosenhaus at least didn't rule it out. He said it was his own personal opinion, but we know that he's close with Gronk and he's his agent. So it's obviously not completely out of left field where Rosenhaus is coming from. What What's your Biggest takeaway from Rob Gronkowski, the tight end, the New England Patriot. I know you have a little bit of a take maybe about the situation and, and how it all ended, but, but what's your take? Well, in-
0: I just, I don't care about this because it's not his first retirement and it's probably not going to be his last retirement. I just can't get fired up about it. I, you know, like you said, the report from Rosenhaus, the only thing that's weird about it is if he's just doing this to duck camp, he was a free agent. He wasn't under contract. He didn't need yeah. to do this. He could have stayed a free agent. My guess is he's going to be selling some sort of new party or or cream or whatever it is yeah. that he sells in the next couple of days. He wanted to get his name back in the news cycle, and this was the most efficient way to do it. Uh, he's he's the greatest tight end of all time in terms of peak. Other players, I, I would say Gonzalez or I should say player Gonzalez had a better career, but Gronk. I mean, it's an injury thing, right? He was he was beat right. up in times during his career. At his peak, he's the most skilled tight end of all time. I think you could argue as well. I got a text from my brother about this. In the Let's call it since 2000, the modern era of the NFL. There has never been a tougher matchup than Rob Gronkowski. And you, you can say what you will about Calvin Johnson. He was supremely talented. Gronk's ability to line up in line, in the slot, outside, to block, to, to as a receiver, all of it. He, he truly did everything. He truly did everything there is to do on the football field from a skilled position player that made him an impossible matchup for, for any defense. So that to me, that to me is his legacy. He was the, the most dangerous offensive weapon in the NFL for a 10 year span. That's his legacy. And I'm sure he'll prove it again when he comes back in November. So that's, that's why I can't get, you know, fired up about this.
1: I'm a little interested to see though, what is next for Gronk? If this truly is it, and he is retiring because TV did not work out for him. He's not cut. For TV, I don't think. Well, he can do TV, not NFL TV. He'll go host a game sure. show or something. Sure, that that's definitely a possibility. Maybe he is the next Michael Strahan, right? He's on, on talk show TV or uh, game shows, as you just mentioned. But actually analyzing football and working in a booth or working on a studio show that talks about football, when he was retired in 2019, it didn't really seem like it was. he was very good at it quite frankly. Now, in terms of him as a football player, I think one of the best compliments that you can give is imagine like along the lines of what you were saying, imagine trying to game plan for Rob Gronkowski, right? And imagine to try to game plan, especially in his peak for the Patriots offense with Rob Gronkowski in it because they were so multiple because he was a X receiver. He was a slot receiver and he was an inline wide tight end all in one body and his ability to basically cross the lines of formations and do whatever the Patriots needed him to do in a given week. I think down the stretch in 2018 and the Super Bowl on the last one for the Patriots you see the catch against the rams at the end right and that was sort of the signature moment of that run he obviously had a couple big catches against the chiefs in overtime and in the fourth quarter uh, to help the patriots offense but really what set him apart in that run was his blocking he was a tremendous blocker throughout that playoff run especially against the chargers in that divisional round game just absolutely dominating at the point of attack so he was as complex a player to plan for because the laundry list of things that he did was just so long uh, that it was difficult to go out there and say, well, we're going to stop this or we're going to stop that. Because the Patriots always had an answer when Rob Gronkowski was on the field, it seemed. Now, what was your your signature moment? What was your favorite play favorite uh dry favorite catch of rob gronkowski's throughout his career because there's some really good ones and i've right. seen since he announced this a couple hours ago a couple of different catches a couple of different plays a couple of different games out there
0: well i mean let's not act like he again let's not act like he's done but uh <laughs> to this point in his career i mean this the signature is the catch in the super bowl against the rams that's you know yeah. and his, his career should have ended there Happened and that off. would have been a great yeah. moment uh my favorite is him just, just dunking on the Steelers in that, what was that, 17? Yeah. Right? um yeah. You know, just laughing. He's literally laughing at guys as he's yeah. making his way down the field. Everybody knew the ball was going to him, and it didn't matter. So that that would probably be my favorite.
1: Yeah, that was right up there for me as well. I, I think that, I tweeted out, that was the most dominant drive of one player that I've ever seen. It was yeah. Unstoppable. Uh, they tried covering him, and man, was Sean Davis was was the Waldo, right? He was the guy that got picked on by Gronk and Brady on that drive. Then they tried to kind of bracket him in zone coverage. It, it None of it mattered. He he just destroyed all of it on that drive. And uh, I think the other one that really stands out to a lot of people—they actually lost the game, but the 2015 AFC Championship game the 40 yarder on fourth and six, I think it was. And the whole season on the line, I think in terms of the moment, right. The stakes at play there, that was certainly one of his biggest moments and biggest catches. We talked about this when Brady retired. Uh, I like you keep saying, I a hundred percent agree with you that Gronk could come back at any time. And I don't think it would shock anybody, but in terms of his handling of his legacy with the Patriots and with new England, it's going to be a topic, right? It's going to be a topic about the Patriots Hall of Fame and does he come back? And he's not going to sign a one day contract and retire a Patriot or no. anything like that. But what do you see in his post playing career? Because Brady's been a little bit more vocal about the fact that when he actually officially retires, that he is going to be a part of the Patriots community and come back to Foxborough and things like that. I'm not sure if 87 is going to be back at Gillette stadium too often.
0: Well, first off, Brady says that if he becomes the owner of Miami dolphins, that goes right out the window. So who knows how true that all is. There. Um, I, I Gronk, I could really only see him coming back for Brady stuff, right? If they retire Brady's number, Gronk's yeah. going to be there, but you know, I think the bad blood goes both ways. He obviously wasn't happy when they tried to trade him before the 2018 season. And they, he kind of screwed them over with his first retirement announcement, waiting until mid-March. There were moves they could have made. knowing he wasn't going to be on the roster. There's money they would have had where they could have built a better team. And then who knows? And then maybe Brady stays. Maybe they go out and they get Jared Cook and they get another receiver and all of that, maybe maybe it convinces Brady to stay here. So he really, really did them dirty in the nature of which he announced his retirement in 2019 by delaying it as long as he did. I still to this day do not understand why Belichick did not give him a deadline. And say if you don't tell us by this date, we're going to assume we're moving forward without you. Uh, I have no idea why that didn't happen, but it's it's you're right. It's not like Brady. With and, and the other thing is six rings, quarterback. Yeah, all of it. Gronk. It's it's not on the same level. There were Gronk was a great. He's the greatest tight end of all time. Is he the greatest pass catcher of the Patriots dynasty? I still go Randy Moss. I still shorter window, yeah. But I still go Randy Mott. Like you know, um, I think in terms of you know overall legacy, as great of a player he was, I think Julian Edelman's a guy who's maybe more appreciated here at this point Randy. than Rob Gronkowski is. I think you you might put a guy like uh, um, Troy Brown in that category, right? Um, there's there's some other guys who played other positions, right? Uh, I just he'll come back for the Brady stuff. I think beyond that, it's it's bad both ways.
1: Yeah, I can totally see both sides of it with Gronk with Brady in his fallout with the Patriots. I I can't quite see the Patriots angle to that one, like letting that guy walk. I still don't really fully understand what the premise was there, what the idea was there. But with Gronk, let's face it, 2018, when they tried to trade him in the offseason and he came out and said they tried to trade me it was very clear that the end was near at least the first time. And then the year off really did him a lot of good in 2019. And he came back a different player in 2020 with the bucks. But when he was in 2017, then into 2018, he was not the same guy for most of 2018. He had a good playoff right. run, and he had some good moments in the postseason. But he really wasn't the same guy throughout that 2018 season. So moving on from Rob Gronkowski a year too early instead of a year too late, is classic Belichick, and it's not necessarily something that I knock the team for. And I agree with you that his retirement lingering into the offseason, past free agency, past the draft, did put the Patriots into a bind in 2019. But I also see his perspective too, because you have nine seasons with the team. He was one of those guys that laid his body out on the line every single week and was really, took a lot of injuries, banged up player for the Patriots, and was obviously an all-time great Patriot, an all-time great player in general. I can see why he was frustrated that they tried to trade him. So I, I can see both sides to the coin here. I, I do hope with Brady it seemed like that a little bit uh, from the things that he said and things like that. I hope with Gronk, that's the same thing that at least for the fans that they can put their differences aside, probably mostly with Belichick. Right. And, uh, and be uh, in the moment with the fans, when those times come, when the Patriots hall of fame comes from Gronk for Gronkowski, when all the retirement stuff comes from Brady, uh, I, I hope that all, all that comes uh, with, with good, uh, just just, Fairness on both sides of it. Now, last thing here before we get to these questions, and if you do have questions again, please drop them in the chat. We're going to start the Q and A portion here in thirty seconds. Uh, Gronk, first ballot Hall of Famer, Alex. Yeah, yes or no? yeah, he's the greatest tight end of all time. He's going to have some of the detractors. I know you say that like it's so instant, but oh,
0: so so should he be Devin or will Devin he be? be? I I didn't understand the question. Should he be or will he be? Will he be? We know we know he, we know he no. should be here. No, because he's a patriot. Yeah. And he was kind of a dink, and he didn't—he didn't, you know, necessarily respect the game or any of that. It's part of what made him so fun, right? No, yeah. they're all—all all the old heads are going to get their underwear in a bunch about him laughing at Sean Davis, and it's not respectful, and it's not a good example for the children, or anything like that. And they're going to give him the one-year slap on the wrist, the same they gave to Terrell Owens. I look yeah. at him like Ter- honestly, it's like Terrell Owens, not, right? Yeah, it's not Terrell, and they're going to put in—they're going to put in because Gronk's—he's not done yet, so he's going to get another year or two. They're going—it's going to be the same year as Travis Kelsey. They're going to put Travis Kelsey in over him the same way they put Marvin Harrison in over Terrell Owens, which is an absolute travesty, and we're going to do this whole nonsense again. Longevity is going to hurt him, I think, even though he ended no, up playing no, the no. seasons. most in, seasons. Most, even without the longevity, if you go from 2010 to 2021, an 11-year window, he had the most receiving yards, by a lot, over 9,000 receiving yards as a tight end, over over 90 touchdowns as a tight end. Yeah. No other tight end in that window eclipsed those numbers. Guys who played, guys who played 16 games a year, right. this is an 11-year window. Yeah. It's not longevity at 11 years. At 11 that's years, different. that's an NFL career.
1: The, right? the, la- the last two years in Tampa do help them in terms of the longevity argument. I, I would do. say, j- just to wrap it up here, Megatron, I, I want to say, is a similar case study, right? I have to go and look at Calvin Johnson's career numbers and years and things like that. But if you're going to make the argument of he didn't have a long enough peak or he was durability and longevity, well, Calvin Johnson also retired a little bit early in his career too. And he was first ballot. So, and rightfully so, right? Like Megatron totally deserved to be first ballot Hall of Famer. I think that those two guys are are really comparable in terms of their dominance, right? And their physical dominance and uh, in their peak dominance as well. Megatron had that season. He almost broke the receiving yards record, and then Gronk had 2011, where he basically right. rewrote the record book
0: for a greatest end. greatest season by a tight end. But but yeah. here's the difference. Here's the difference in the eyes of the voters. Calvin Johnson played for the scrappy little Detroit Lions,
1: and he had yeah. nobody
0: throwing him the ball. Even though Matthew Stafford, in his own yeah. right, is probably Hall of Famer, but no, he had nobody throwing him the ball. The, the, the scrappy Detroit Lions. He gave his heart because that's all he was playing for. And blah blah blah. So it is nothing against Calvin Johnson. I'm a huge Calvin Johnson fan. He deserved to be first ballot too. Rob Gronkowski played for the Patriots. They don't like putting Patriots guys in. He had Tom Brady throwing him the ball. They'll take that away from him, but go watch some of those catches. Those are Rob Gronkowski's catches. The one that comes to mind is the one against Denver, where he reaches all the way back at the goal line, right? He yeah. should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He won't be because the process is dumb, but he should yeah. be. Once Terrell Owens wasn't, once to, like I, so to me, Terrell Owens top five first receiver of all time. Top I 30. have, I have, so we like, I think there's some debate at three and four. Moss and Rice are the only two people definitively ahead sure. of him, in my mind. Yeah. The fact that he didn't get in first ballot, and look, I think Marvin Harrison is a deservingly a Hall of Fame player, but when right. you look at the knocks, they put on some of these guys. And the, the big one is, well, who did he play with? Marvin Harrison literally only played with Peyton Manning. We never saw him with anybody else. Yeah. There's a good chance he was as much a product of Peyton Manning as anything else. I And look, Gronk only played with Tom Brady but I'm just saying you can't use that as a detraction when you put Marvin Harrison over Terrell Owens who was at the end of the day a significantly significantly better receiver. Terrell yeah. Owens to me, top 5 definitely, I'll do the argument for top 3. Marvin Harrison is he in the top 10? Maybe. Uh, Maybe. It's not right? So He's not in the
1: top 10 in terms of Singular dominance, right? Like if I'm drafting wide receivers, I'm not putting
0: Marvin Harrison in my drafting Marvin Harrison. You better have Reggie Wayne on the other side and Dallas Clark in you know a tight end and a generational quarterback under center. Right, right. You know, all of you you better have that with Marvin Harrison. Trell Owens played on some good teams. He did. He also played on some bad teams and was amazing, right? Calvin Johnson played on bad teams, was amazing. The point is, it's inconsistent. Rob Gronkowski should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, should be. But because the voting process is so inconsistent, I, I, I feel like there's a chance he's not. Yeah. The, okay. The only way he is, is if he comes back and him and Brady retire at the, at the same time, because they'll put those two guys in together because it'll be a whole thing. I think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of
1: Famer. I think the voters have changed a little bit in the respect that they understand five-year kind of dominant windows are better than necessarily playing for 15, 20 years and and being just okay. Right. Or being a really good above average player to great player for 15 years is not necessarily better than being a dominant force for five or six or seven. Personally, again, I, I think the comp is, is Megatron. Like if you're going to let Calvin Johnson in first ballot and he deservedly so was first ballot, now anybody that has that kind of peak physical dominance like Megatron did, and Gronk is one of the only guys in the history of football probably that can say that he was as good as Megatron for a period of time. Those guys I think now all start to get in. Look, you get guys like Megatron, even like a guy like Kurt Warner, right, who had right. really only five or four or five great seasons. And he uh, was an, He was an
0: MVP and he won two rings.
1: Right, and he also got back with the Cardinals later on in his career, which right. I think was big for his candidacy as well. But those types of guys are getting in now. And I think if you're gonna let those kind of guys in, then it's clearly that Gronk is first ballot. And I also Look, want to throw out there before we move on. We're talking about him being first ballot. He is
0: 110% going into Canton. Oh, like, yeah, he no, he'll get he'll, he'll get event. there. I'm I could see them giving hit because you know who else because the the three most dominant players of the last 10 years, the three most dominant skill position players of the last 10 years, yeah, are Calvin Johnson, yeah, Rob Gronkowski. And I know people don't want to hear it. Antonio Brown and Gronk and Brown. I can totally see them getting the slap on the wrist and, and having yeah. a year. it would be very interesting to see what happens. With Cause Antonio those is anybody close to those three? Like maybe Tyree kill. Tyree kill. I think is close. That was but the other one I was going to mention. Yeah. I, you know, after that, it's a pretty significant drop. Like Julio Jones, great player, tremendous yeah. player, top three receiver in the league. He wasn't, he didn't take over games in the way those three did he yeah. wasn't multifaceted in the way those guys were like that to me that is the uh, from 2000 2010 in the nfl that is the upper echelon that is that is the you know the valedictorians of the class all of that all you know yeah. i'll even put it this way it's antonio brown it's rob gronkowski and then we'll break it down to two five-year windows 2001 and 2015 is calvin johnson and then tyree Hill took the torch from him for the second half of the decade.
1: Yeah. So I think the other thing I'll say too, and as I
0: keep trying to move on from this. Yeah, but this is already like 15 minutes more than I want we're getting to
1: fired up from it, apparently. I think a lot of people that are kind of prisoners of the moment remember Rob Gronkowski with the Bucks. And I don't mean this about a slight on the Patriots. I just mean they remember him from the last two years of his career go back and watch that 2011 season and just go pull up a highlight clip on YouTube or something like that. I'm sure there's a million of them from him in 2011 and just watch everything about his game and how dominant of a force he was. Remember how good he was with the ball in his hands back then. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, pull up the clip against Washington. Yeah. He's literally a Mack truck.
0: He can't be tackled in the open field. It was, you know, He's Derrick Henry as a ball carrier. He's and I don't mean he's like Derrick Henry. I don't mean relative to the position, he's Derrick Henry. I mean with the ball in his hands, it is the same skill set as Derrick Henry. The yeah. difference is he's he's faster than Derrick Henry and he can run routes nice. and he can block.
1: He's yeah.
0: de- he's he's basically a mix of pick any top five wide receiver and Derrick Henry. That's be- <laughs> I'll say it. Pick Julio Jones and Derrick Henry. Put them together. That's Rob Gronkowski. Am I and wrong? He-
1: yeah, no, I, I just remember in 2011, off the top of my head, I could probably rattle off three, four, five plays where he's got guys hanging all over him. He's stiff arming people. He's running through tackles. Didn't and get a used, single call on any of it. Yeah, and he used to get up to, I I don't think that they clocked people back then, like in the next gen stats world. I don't think that that existed back then with real Real speed and real miles per hour. I would gather to say that some of those times a six foot six, 250, 260 pound tight end was breaking the 20 mile per hour barrier on some of those right. yards after the catch plays. Uh, he was an absolute freak with the football in his hands. And on that note, oh uh, to Grob Gronkowski, great career if this is truly it. First ballot Hall uh, of Famer in my book. I want to take a second to shout out our partners at Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's Stanley Cup Finals, Major League Baseball scores, all the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL features. You want to place a bet on Mac Jones winning MVP? It's there. You want to place a bet on Bill Belichick, Coach of the Year? It's there. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get the bonus and to get into the action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's answer some patriots questions and I want to start with this one. Oh wait, Bart- hang on. Well, I'm angry. Can we answer the question that just came in? Sure. What's the question that just came in? About Bart Scott. All right, here we go. Yep, it's hey, it's June, so we can answer any of these these questions. Go ahead.
0: What are we what are we doing? What are we like paint Pey- is paint Manning even in the discussion is he's not in the same discussion as Tom Brady anymore that Bart Scott is still bitter about this go watch the play on Thursday night football where 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 he can't read the wheel route and Shane Vereen takes it to the house whatever it is 75 80 yards this is ridiculous that we're going to do this and this is what it's going to be for oh you know this guy over Brady that guy over Brady Get out of here with this nonsense! I thought we were done with with Brady Manning. I thought that was over. Manning has since been displaced by guys like Patrick Mahomes. I think you could argue Aaron Rodgers, yeah. short of postseason success. Come on, don't don't be jealous. It's ugly, Bart. It's ugly. I, I I think
1: the craziest thing about this with Bart Scott is I remember a few years ago Bill Belichick was talking about that Colts offense and. They were basically a one formation one personnel grouping offense, right? They were three right. wide receiver and it was manning at the line, you know, Omaha Omaha doing all the different they things. They were Shanahan
0: like, before Shanahan.
1: Yeah, they were all the checks, all the all the all those things at the line of scrimmage, but they were not an overly complex offense to stop, right? They were not an overly complex System, But they were so good at it and Manning was so good that they it didn't matter. They they were just so damn good at it that they were able to move the ball anyways. But what I think is so confusing about this statement from Bart Scott is the Patriots were the complete opposite of that, right? The Patriots were multiple personnel groupings, multiple formations, run pass uh, discrepancy and, and being able to divide between those depending on the game plan, tight end centric, then wide receiver centric, then running back centric like they were a, I can't even think of the right word. They were an amoeba, right? Like they were just everything all at once. And I just find it so hard to believe outside of Brady versus Manning and their greatness against each other, that somebody would honestly say from a player standpoint, that it was more difficult to play Peyton than Brady because Peyton was, you knew exactly what he was going to do to you. Right. It was just a matter of, were you good enough or not to stop it? Brady, you got to the game on Sunday and he would throw something at you that you weren't expecting or Belichick would and McDaniels would or, you know, Weiss would or whatever. It's just such a different uh, approach that I, I find it so hard to believe that any defensive player would say it was easier to play Tom Brady just because of
0: that aspect of it. The other element of it that I'd add, you could make Peyton Manning tap out. Patriots did to him a number of times. I remember the Chargers did it to him and was it 07? The, you know, the Shane Merriman year, right? Where he was just yeah. all over him in the backfield. If you started hitting Peyton Manning and hitting his receivers, they would tap out. Yeah. You could not, Tom Brady did not tap out. No. You had to play 60 minutes against Tom Brady. I don't care if you're up 21 going to the fourth quarter. I don't care if you're up 28 to three in the second half of the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning does not come back from that. Yeah. He taps out. You have to play a full 60 minutes against Tom Brady every single time. That wasn't the case you. You could you could if you start knocking Peyton Manning around, he's gonna say thanks, I've had enough. And he's gonna start yeah. chucking up ducks and throwing picks. Tom Brady's gonna fight back. It is stupid, stupid comment.
1: Fourth quarter comebacks or just comebacks in general in the postseason. I'm sure it is very,
0: very lopsided, Brady to Manning. And that. Not, so here's the stupid thing. It's not Because there's a ton of drives. I've looked into this. and I don't have the exact number in front of me right now. Manning's like third or fourth all time in that. And the reason, the stat is flawed. Fourth quarter comebacks, it's just if you didn't have the lead in the fourth, then you did, you won. There's like an inordinate amount of drives from Peyton Manning's career where he got the ball down like one or two at the end of the third quarter. Kicked a field goal on the first drive of the fourth quarter and won. And he gets yeah. credit for fourth quarter comebacks for those. When you do, when you put on the two minute qualifier, it changes drastically. Peyton yeah. Manning was like the greatest of all time from like a minute to go on the third to like 13 minutes to go on the fourth. That's when Peyton Manning thrived. Once you got inside those 13 minutes, he couldn't handle it, but it's just a weird, I don't know. It's just a weird fact. I thought I threw out. I think if you're comparing resumes, I think you can make a compelling argument that
1: Peyton's the best regular season quarterback of all time, but in terms of winning in playoffs, Peyton Manning has the most career playoff losses and Tom Brady has the most career playoff wins. And that's not a coincidence, right? That That's not a mistake uh, that that happened for a reason. All right, let's get into some yeah. of these actual Patriots questions here. I, I want to start with this one from Ashley, because I think really the, the one that's sticking out in my mind, that's the biggest question the Patriots have to answer for the rest of this offseason in the summer break is cap space, right? They they don't literally do not have enough cap space right now To sign Cole Strange and Tyquan Thornton to their rookie contracts. So they're going to have to move some salary cap money. They still sign Zappi too, right? I believe they still have to sign Zappi. Those are the three. Yeah. And I'm going to pull up Miguel's page right now. And Pat's cap has them. Of course, if this will load, I I think it was like five digits. Yeah, I think it was like 500K last time. Now it's $142,000 of cap space. So the Patriots are right up against it. So to answer this question or address this question about any surprise personnel moves in the preseason, if there's going to be a surprise personnel move in terms of a cut or a trade, it's definitely going to be cap related. And I don't mean it's a cap casualty as much as I mean, it's the easiest way to get out of two problems, right? Maybe they want to move on from Isaiah Wynn and it creates $10 million in cap space. If they do so, maybe they want to move on from Nelson Aguilar and it does, and it creates $9 million in cap space to do so. I think there's a chance that they might kill two birds with one stone with one of these cap moves that would be deemed kind of a surprise in the preseason.
0: Yeah, I, I they can also just extend Jake Bailey. There's a million, million ways Matthew, they can do it. Yeah. Rework Matthew Judon, rework Hunter Henry. I don't, uh, you know, if we, if you want to talk about going into camp, I, I think Aguilar is somebody who falls into that category. Is Henry Anderson a surprise if they move on from him as somebody that falls in that category? But I think they, yeah. they, they kind of got those moves out of the way early. I would say Sha- Shaq Mason was the move you're looking, like the answer to this question was Shaq Mason. They just already did right. it. Right. Yeah. So, I yeah, I I think that they're pretty much set where they are right now. Yeah, Jake Bailey extension
1: I think would be one move that could potentially happen. The Matthew Judon c- contract conversion I don't know why that hasn't happened already. That that seems like a slam dunk to happen. They can free up, I think it's over five million, almost six million dollars in cap space just by doing the salary to signing bonus conversion with Matthew right. Judon's deal. That seems like it's slam dunk to happen, and I I, I think that there are a, look there are always a million ways. manipulate the cap but i I do think that there's a chance because they do have to sign cole strange bailey Zappi, taekwon thornton uh still with the draft picks then they also have to have some surplus to last through the season for like injured reserve and practice squad and that all that sort of stuff so they have to free up i would say around six to ten million dollars in cap space between now and the end of training camp to be safe going into the season so some things are going to, some shoes are going to drop here. Dominoes are going to fall here. Uh, just a matter of where exactly they want to so take it
0: from. There is, a, there was a really interesting comment there, and I don't know what the cap. Uh, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Ramifications. Right. Thank you. That's exactly yes. what I was looking for. We, we we spent too much time together. <laughs> um, I don't know exactly what the cap ramifications would be of this, but somebody in the chat said that they'd like to extend Kendrick Bourne right now. I don't hate that in theory His number is really low like he's underpaid at the moment right so he's his cap number according to over the cap right now which is the one that miguel told us to use (laughs) is 6.4 million then it's 6.9 million next year i don't know if extending him gets that down it may and maybe there's a way to do it or maybe there's a way to keep it where it is and just extend it or whatever just in general i like that idea because i think he's gonna have another huge year this year and yeah it's almost like a you know buy buy low and as is, it sounds crazy to say buy low because he had such a good season last year, I think his value is only going to go up the next year or two. So, if there's a way they can extend Kendrick Bourne and end up lowering the cap a little bit, even if it means you got to pay him more down the road, I'm all for that. I would love to see them pay him and and get him in the building a little bit longer term. I think you know between the the talent he showed last year and the relationship with Mac Jones and the very, and the I, leadership, yeah, yeah. he's a high energy guy. Yeah, I I, like he's he's not quite there yet. Nobody really can be after just one year, but like he's got like cornerstone guy potential. I feel like he's sort of right on that edge. If if there's a way, again, I don't know if there's a way to do it. I'm not. I don't talk about the cap because when I do, Miguel yells at me because I'm usually wrong. But
1: what was? Give me his cap number again. I I, a lot of numbers. So six point four. It's gonna be tough because they can technically stretch the some of that money out right which in theory when you have a big cap number guy like if a guy's over 10 million dollars like for instance isaiah win they wanted right. to decide isaiah Win to an extension they would probably save money on the cap by doing so because they could lower his cap number this season but with that number it, i don't know if really would really be able to lower his number this year. It, it would be pretty tough to do it. Right. it ha- they'd have to really heavily backload the contract, which means that his cap hits in the future seasons would be pretty, pretty high at that point. So I, I don't know if they could really lower it any more than that than six
0: point. That's a, that's a great team friendly number. for yeah. Bourne. No, I, I wouldn't push it and try to screw it up, but I just saw it in the chat. I thought it was a, a good point.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's stick with wide receivers here for a second. I think it's a little bit too early or premature to, say that the Patriots could move on from Jacoby Myers this season, but just talking about his long-term future with the team did sign the one year tender. He is in for 2022 at that $3.9 million mark and Trey Nixon. It was just mini camp. It was just OTAs. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but he obviously looked fantastic. If he carries this into training camp with Myers in a contract year, Is there any chance whatsoever that that Myers ends up being an odd man out here? It is an interesting question, I would just say, because Trey Nixon aside, if Taekwon Thornton ends up coming on and he ends up looking good, then you have Thornton, you have Parker, you have Bourne, and you most likely have Aguilar and Trey Nixon in the mix as well. We've already talked about that somebody's going to be the odd man out, right? Clearly, Nikhil right. Harry is already the odd man out, but somebody else could potentially be at least for playing time. Like purposes, somebody from last man. year, somebody who played
0: last year is going to be an odd man out,
1: right? And, and it might just end up being playing time, right? It, it could just be that Aguilar's usage is way down because Thornton takes over his right. role or Parker takes over his role. But what do you see, uh, Jacoby Myers' future with the team? And do you do you like trade Nixon in, in that slot role? better than somebody like Jacoby Myers in terms of the future.
0: Like long term. So I, I love the upside of Nixon in that role. I have to see more to, to talk about it right now, but that kind of speed in the slot. I love it. I, you know, anybody who watches this show knows how much I want that vertical slot element, in the offense. So yeah. and he could, he could do that. That's a role he could fill. I still think in terms of this year, if there's an, even if Nixon goes off, I still think Nelson Aguilar becomes the odd man out. The other thing in this to remember, and this is me guessing, Evan, you can disagree with this. Aguilar and, and, and Myers are both pending free agents at the end of this year, right? Correct. Who's gonna get more money as on the open market? Just in general, not like from the Patriots, like in general, open market, who's gonna get more money? I lean Nelson Aguilar, honestly. Really? Okay. See what his season ha-
1: has or what they get out of him this year and and stuff like that, but The reason why I lean Aguilar is because I think for Myers, I think other teams are going to look at him as a a limited ceiling player, right? I think they're going to see his 40 time, the UDFA stats. Like those things tend to follow you. For instance, like JC Jackson, if he's like a first round pick,
0: he's breaking a hundred million dollars in free agency. Right. Well, Because teams are worried that it's a coaching thing and maybe not a true talent thing for this. The reason I brought that up though, is I, who's going to get you the better comp pick? Right. Yeah. If you're gonna move on from both of them either way, you know, well, we can trade, you know, and you can probably I think you can trade either of them, but you're gonna it's gonna be a pick swap, it's gonna be a day three pick, fifth, sixth, seventh round. If you think there's a shot, and I think Myers is gonna get more money because he's younger, he's had more sustained success, right? I you know, if is there a shot Myers get to a fourth round comp pick? I think that's realistic. Nelson Aguilar, not so much. And I I see in the comments, stop I see in the comments here, stop with the comp picks. This is the way they look at it. It all goes into the evaluation. If they have both of them and it's neck and neck on who they want to move on from, they will consider that. Who's going to be easier to resign. Who's going to get us a better comp pick who this, who that, like this is how they break it down. So I, so it's interesting that you disagree. So I personally think they'll get a better comp pick for Myers because he's younger and he's, I, I think, although you said he's a limited player, I think there's, there's value in that volume guy. Nelson Aguilar is not a volume guy, and there are other guys out there who do what he does that do it better. There's not a ton of true volume guys in the league right now. Jacoby Myers truly is one. So I think there's a chance he could get you a better better comp pick, and that's something I think they would consider if they're going to move on from one of those guys.
1: So I think sitting here today, I hear your argument more about – myers because i think myers will end up out producing agalor right in the right. box core so ultimately if myers goes off for 80 catches 90 yards in three or four touchdowns he's not a big touchdown uh, not, i said 90 i meant 900 <laughs> 80 yards. catches
0: for 90 yards that'd be somehow he, the team. people might have been right about mac jones if he has 80 catches for yeah. 90 yards 80
1: 80 catches 900 yards in yeah, like 30 30 or four did last touchdowns. Year. yeah Aguilar is not going to touch that production, right? I mean, Aguilar is not going to touch that production. But if you're another team, I think the two things that you look at is that some front offices will really comb through the tape and see, okay, maybe he's impacting by stretching the field and maybe he's impacting by taking the safety uh, over the top and uh, occupying the number one corner on the opponent on the outside. And then I think the teams are also going to look at the Raiders tape, right? And say, well... The Patriots are not a vertical passing team. They weren't going to feature him in that role. We think that we're going to get the player that was on the Raiders a couple of years ago and not the player that was with the Patriots over the last two seasons. So I think that Aguilar has a little bit of a better reputation, I guess is what I'm saying league-wide. And I look at guys like Julian Edelman, too, who never really broke the bank. And maybe it was because Julian Edelman didn't shop it and didn't truly ever want to leave the Patriots so it wasn't actually right. a bidding war for his services but a lot of Patriots slot receivers over the years have never really gotten that bag like they, they, Walker, they haven't got them. a bag from Denver he got a small bag from Denver that's that's fair
0: I uh, Deion Branch I think maybe got like a mini bag at one point in time well, right? relative to the time he got good money now it's nothing now it's like fourth wide receiver money at the time it was good money
1: yeah, I just wonder because I I I looked at it with JC Jackson too. Like I said, that's such a good example, I think, with the UDFA stuff with the Patriots. JC on paper was a twenty million dollar a year cornerback, right? Like he right. had the interception production, he had the tape, like he had the whole nine yards, and his contract was actually less than I thought it was gonna be, and less than a lot of people thought it was gonna be, I think, in terms of total value and per year. Uh, you know, a- average annual value on a per year basis. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm really interested to see what the league thinks of Jacoby Myers next offseason. If he goes to free agency, which I think is a good chance that he will, uh, it'll be interesting to see w- if how the league values him. How do the other 31 teams look at Jacoby Myers? Because the only other team that I can think of that would be like super interested would maybe be the Raiders, but they just signed Hunter Renfro to the, to an extension, so they have their slot receiver. It's going to be interesting to see. All right, let's move on like uh, go to this nice list from Dexter here Alex of like the castoffs right the the draft picks that that were, oh, wait, were wait I have something for this we're, were yeah, not I'm, not so great or have not panned out out of the this late list,
0: the, the late bloomers is what I've been calling them I'm writing a column about that that's for a 95. nice way of putting it let's put it the
1: nice way the late bloomers.
0: Although I don't have Bledsoe on my list. The rest of it's pretty much the same.
1: Who out of the late bloomers do you think has the best chance to make the roster? I look at this list and I, you can, you can disagree with me, but I look at this and I see
0: two names that I think will ultimately make the team. But how so, do you feel? Best ch- So I, I, I wouldn't put Joshua Bledsoe in this category. Like I, I know it's, it's just what Dexter's giving us. Yeah. He broke his wrist at the senior bowl. He had to miss last year with an injury. He's a sixth round pick. Right. I don't, the other guy, honestly, so here, here's my list when I was, because my thing is like, who? which of these these guys who are expected to contribute over the last couple of years haven't? My list was, uh, I, I had Jennings. I also had Josh Uche, Jawan Williams, and Henry Anderson. I'm just doing it on the defensive yeah. side of the ball, but we can throw Asi, Asi, and Keenan there as well. The most likely to make the team on this list is Jawan Williams, simply because they don't have corners. Yeah. That's a process of elimination thing. Who do I think could be the best player on this list? Who do I think that could could contribute the most? Joshua Blood's on special teams. If we're going to take him off, Anthony Jennings. I think there's still yeah. a role for Anthony Jennings on this football team. I had him just off on my roster projection. I had him as my fifty fifth player, uh, just behind uh, Trey Nixon at fifty four. I, I still think there's a role for Anthony Jennings, but he's got a ton of competition ahead of him. Whereas Juwan Williams, it's kind of a blank slate. He just if he's just decent in camp, if he has a decent camp, yeah, we'll we'll change our minds. We'll put him on. And maybe they will, too, because there's just nobody else there.
1: Yeah. So the two names that I was going to pick out were Devin Asiasi and Anthony Jennings, because I think with Devin Asiasi, they're not going to carry a true fullback on the roster because they don't have a true fullback even on the 90-man roster right now. So if you're not going to carry a fullback, I initially put two tight ends on my 53-man roster projection after minicamp because the feeling was – you're probably going to be able to stash a couple of tight ends on the practice squad, right? I don't know if anybody's knocking down the door to sign Dalton Keen uh, once the right. Patriots release him, but at the same time, I think Osiose eventually finds his way on the team because carrying two tight ends with no fullback is being really thin in, in that in the tight end fullback room, right? I mean, I think you have to have right. some sort of depth there, so I think Devin Osiose most likely ends up finding his way on the team. Maybe James White starts the year on PUP. Maybe Marcus Jones starts the year on PUP and opens up some roster spots, some
0: at-large roster spots, as you like to say, Alex, to yep. make a room for Devin Asiasi. Yeah, I still we need to do that calculation this year. I mean, we do it live on the show. Yeah,
1: we should. The o- The other thing is with Anthony Jennings, I still think the Patriots are going to play some 3-4 looks. And if they're going to have a role uh, for two outside linebackers in the 3-4 front – they only have three guys other than Anthony Jennings on the team that I feel good about. And that's Matthew Judon, uh, Josh Uche. And uh, of course I'm, I'm blanking on the last one, but I'll I'll remember it in a second. Anthony Jennings is kind of uh, Ronnie Perkins. Anthony Jennings is kind of the fourth guy, right? And you need the depth there as well. If you're going to run a lot of odd front and you're going to be a three, four team, like they have been in the past, then you still need some depth at that outside linebacker position. And I think Anthony Jennings right now is pretty much all they got at that spot to be that depth, unless that uh, Demarcus Mitchell, the UDFA that they signed this season ends up being a player. It's that's pretty much it. That's like the end of list at that point. And guys like Bentley and McGrone uh, McMillan, and those guys are true off ball linebackers. Th- th- those are not three, four edge setters. So ultimately I think Anthony Jennings kind of like what you were saying with Jawan Williams, like those two guys might just make the team out of necessity just because they don't have bodies at that position at that spot. And uh, they don't necessarily need Anthony Jennings to start, but I think that they're going to potentially need the depth there. So those are my two. Uh, I, I agree with you with Joshua Bledsoe though. I, I don't think that he's part of this, but uh, yeah. in terms of the rest of them, I think it's a little bit too late, right? I, I think for Jawan, at this point, he's, he almost Jawan to me is almost in the same boat as Nikhil Harry. Like it, it, he just doesn't have it, right?
0: He's gotten so all sorts the, of opportunity. The difference to me is again, there's all that depth in front of Nikhil. And that's what's keeping him off the roster right now. If they didn't draft Tyquan Thornton, it didn't trade for Devonte Parker. We're talking yeah. about Nikhil probably still at least being in the picture, maybe not yeah. a roster lock, but still being in the picture. So sure. I, I think, and this goes to the, so I'll explain the at large roster concept. Cause it goes to that. Your 53 man roster. Isn't your 53 best players necessarily It can be, but you have to keep certain numbers at certain positions, right? Yes. You have to keep, you have to keep at least two quarterbacks. You just have to, well, what if your second best quarterback is the 56th best player on your roster or the 60th best player on your 90 man roster, however you want to do it, right? Well, then there's somebody in the top 53 is getting left off or, right. you know, what if you have a receiver who's the 50th best player on your roster, but he's the seventh best receiver. You're probably not going to keep seven receivers So, that to me is why I think Juwan Williams still has a chance. Is he one of their 53 best players? No. But, is he the best? Is is he in, could he be in, they need to keep, let's call it at least four corners. Could he play his way into being the fourth best corner on the roster? And just giving them that positional minimum? I don't think it's going to happen, but it's a possibility. Nikhil Harry, they're set at wide receiver. They got seven, eight, nine guys in front of him. They're going to keep six. He's out. He's out. Jawan Williams, just based on the numbers, because they not just lack of talent, but so few players at the position just overall, he's still in the picture.
1: I just think what what it is for me, with Jawan, and it's the same thing as it is with Nikhil Harry, is they have given, as a second round pick, a a top 50 pick at at that, they've given Jawan Williams all the opportunity in the world to show that he's a a good NFL player. Like, all the opportunity We've been out there the last couple of training camps. He's out there. He's working. He's cycling in. They're giving him reps. They're trying to make Jawan Williams happen, right? They're trying to get him into a a comfortable place that he can actually contribute to this team. And and he hasn't taken the opportunity. He hasn't walked through the door. And I think it's the same thing with Nikhil Harry. They've tried Maybe they didn't try correctly, and maybe the coaching could have been better for Nikhil Harry here, especially in the beginning or the decision-making, at least in terms of his career path, but they tried to make Nikhil Harry happen. It wasn't like they completely neglected Nikhil Harry and kept him on the bench for two years and were just like, you're just not good, or three years, whatever it's been, and you're just not good. They, how many times did they try to make Nikhil a thing? Like it, right. it, it seems like the same thing with Jawan Williams, and he just hasn't ever proven, even on the practice field during the summer and training camp, that he is worthy of more opportunity in games during the regular season. And last year, you always point this out when I was hyping up Nikhil Harry early on in training camp. Who was he doing it against? Jawan Williams, right? So right. even Nikhil looked good at times against Jawan Williams in training camp last year. So I don't know. I have a tough time at this point with Jawan, with the two young corners, the rookies uh, that they drafted with Sean Wade. Like I, I just, I don't even know if Sean Wade can play, but I just know that he, that Juwan Williams can't, right? So maybe right. Sean Wade uh, can develop it and can ultimately play. All right. Uh, from this list of younger guys uh, to, I love this question uh, from court. Trey Flowers or Dante Hightower? If you could have one guy back, Alex, uh, for the Patriots this season, who would you rather have back, Hightower
0: or Trey Flowers? Dante Hightower. He's been here. I I know health is a concern with both, but I would say less so with Hightower. You know, I still think he has tremendous value as an edge setter, as a pass rusher. I'm going to go with Hightower. I know people are, are, are kind of out on him, and I would take Flowers back too, but Flowers has struggled. Really, did like Hightower played last year. He stayed on the field. He might not have been great, but he gave you pretty. I don't remember if he played seventeen games, but he played most of the season. Um, and I, I, I still think that he, you know, there's that ability that bursts off the edge. I think he's a natural leader inside the locker room. Again, he's been here. He need he you know he knows the guys in the room. All of that. Yeah. I would take Hightower. I still think they should sign Flowers, but I would take Hightower. Yeah, they could probably sign both of these guys ultimately, so you might not be well, they'd have Well, they'd have to figure out the cap situation. But. They would.
1: It, it doesn't necessarily have to be either or, but just because uh, for the sake of debate here, I also go Hightower on this because e- even though I don't necessarily want Hightower to play, I think he was, what, like 60 70% of snaps last year, even though I don't want him to play that much, the mentorship that he could provide for guys like Cameron McGrone in particular is the one that comes to mind as could really right use it. a high tower in the room. I think that would be extremely valuable. And it kind of goes back to the beginning of high towers career. Like he had mail. Right. And at one point, I I, junior say I was only here for a year, but I think there were some young linebackers on the team then that also spoke highly of his leadership and his mentorship ability. But really the one that stands out with Hightower is 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 Mayo and having Mayo in the room, I think, really helped Hightower grow up really fast. And obviously now he's his coach and, and you can tell that the coach was always in Gerard Mayo. I'm not necessarily sure that Dante Hightower would ever want to coach in his future, just because he's got, uh, he's really family oriented. And I don't know, it just doesn't seem like he's the type of cat that wants to be a coach and put in those kind of hours. But if he's coming back next year in a reduced role where he's playing first down goal line, maybe, you know, 25% of the snaps, kind of like how they used to use a Landon Roberts back in the day when he was here, then I'm all for that and allow him to kind of walk, uh, you know, take, Karen McGrone under his wing, walk him through things and really be an extension of the coaching staff in that regard. I, I think that leadership and that mentorship would be really good uh, for some of these young linebackers, McGrone, Uche even. I think if they're going to try to start grooming him in that Hightower role of that on off the line type of hybrid position, who better to tell him how to do it than Dante Hightower. Right. And obviously they can bring Hightower back and have him around and have him come into practice once a week or something like that. But it's totally different when he's your teammate and he's out there on the practice field with you. I'd love to see Hightower back in that mentorship type of role, but not in a big capacity. You know, I, I think that that's uh, maybe beyond him at this point. Yeah. Let's, let's answer this question. I, I I like it. Let's talk a little bit strategy. You know, week one against Miami, right? I know it's three months away. <laughs> I don't care. I, I Let's talk the X's and O's. How are you matching up, Alex? How are you matching up against Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle in week one down in Miami? It's going to be a thousand degrees. It's going to be really... I, it would be interesting to see what the Patriots do here because Jonathan Jones is clearly a great answer for, for the Hill waddle type of receiver, right? He's got the speed. He's got the open field tackling ability, but now Miami's got two of them. So you got to worry about guarding two of these guys. How do you match up against Miami in week one? I think playing zones, an absolute disaster waiting to happen, but I think, I
0: mean, you hope Marcus Jones is healthy. Yeah, And you put Jonathan Jones on one of these guys, probably on Tyree Hill. You put Marcus Jones on Jalen Waddle. You hope Devin McCourty is a great game. Maybe that's a game where you put Kyle Duggar deep, and you just let him run the ball and take whatever underneath, and you tackle. Something they struggled to do last year against Miami, you tackle when guys catch the ball. That yeah. would what I would do. You yeah, maybe for- you go one boundary corner in that game and in two slot corners.
1: Yeah, so a, a few years ago, that game in, I think it was 2018, that the Patriots played the Chiefs here. In New England, and it was like a shootout, remember? But it was Brady versus Mahomes. It was 50 to 49 or something like that. Brady's uh, led a touchdown drive, or maybe it was a field goal game-winning field goal drive. I think Gronk had a big catch on that drive as well against the Chiefs in the regular season game. They played zone in the second half against Kansas City, remember? And and they you can't play zone against guys like Tyree Kill, at least conventional zone, spot drop zone, because there's no contact. Right. So he just is running through zones, going across the field in the deep part of the field, you know, those deep over routes and things like that. And there's no resistance in within the first five yards in the contact window. If you just allow Tyree kill to run sprints across the field on you, then you're toast, right? There's no way that you're going to be able to contend with that. Could you match zone it and get creative and and get complex with it and cut him off as he's working across the field with leverage defenders and help? Yes. Absolutely. But then you run into the problem of ultimately helping the two guys like Waddle becomes a problem, right? Because Waddle is going to be one-on-one all game long. So it is a little bit of pick your poison. I do think that they're probably going to play some too deep against Miami in week one and play those either cover two or quarters structures with maybe some match principles as well to try to keep both safeties over the top uh, to worry about them. But yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, playing zone against those guys is difficult. Uh, I think that that's uh, what we saw against Kansas City. The most the best the Patriots defense ever looked against Kansas City was uh, the 2018 title game where they played man like 75% of the time. Right? That was yeah. that was the best they looked. And then finally Andy Reid in the second half started running those pick plays and the rub routes and stuff like that and he eventually got some openings in the fourth quarter. It got a little bit wonky. But they played the Chiefs' offense tremendously well for basically three quarters in man. Now they had Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson and and some really good man corners. But I'm be interested to see how the Patriots do this. They can reroute and zone, yeah, absolutely. But once you allow those guys to release up the field and get up to top speed and start running through zones without any resistance, it it just becomes a track meet. And and then it becomes really difficult to keep up with guys like Tyreek.
0: Yeah, no you 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 can't you can't zone against that team, and they'll also pick you apart with the RPO too if you play zone.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. The Patriots have not solved the Tua RPO. I don't know how much uh, Mike McDaniel is going to use RPO with Tua. The, the Niners did it a little bit; like they're not a major RPO team, but they have that in their bag in San Francisco. So it's not like McDaniel's never coached it. So I, I think he could implement it in Tua's. You can say a lot about Tua and some of his shortcomings as a quarterback, no pun intended, but he's one of the best RPO QBs in the league. I mean, he's really, really good at that. It's definitely uh, really hard to stop him in the RPO game. And now with Tyreek and Waddle, like they have two guys that can really carry the football on those RPO concepts as well. So it's going to be a mismatch if if they go and uh, run a lot of RPO against the Patriots. I think it's going to be tough for the Pats to keep up. Uh, With those receivers and not to say they're going to get blown out, but I I just think it's going to be a difficult matchup.
0: Yeah. So I was, I was actually, because I got thinking about it in the background there not that I wasn't listening to what you were saying. You want to guess how many at large roster spots the Patriots have this year? How many? Six, six. That, That makes sense. Yep. So that's, I mean, based on, you know, it depends on who you consider roster lock or what you consider the minimums. I went by what I did last year. It's six or seven, six or seven at large spots.
1: There we go. All right. We're going to break that down in another show. I like that. that I just had to do it because now I was thinking about it. and Anyway, of course, multitasking as always. All right. Yeah. Let's pull up the Boston sports minute. We got we got to do five minutes of of the Boston sports minute here and uh, eulogize the Boston Celtics. Yeah, I was hoping that we were going to come on the show here today and be celebrating a championship. More realistically, I was thinking that we were going to be at least. Oh, they got to game seven. Right. Didn't do either what was your feelings about how the season ended for the Celtics? I think it's a hard, it's hard for me to not be, you know, to say that, look, I, I think that that was a successful season, right? You make it to the NBA right. finals. You make it to game six of the NBA finals. You win two games against the Warriors in the finals. Look, we're about championships here. No doubt about it, but that's still being one of the last two teams is still a successful season at the end of the day, especially for a team yeah. that hasn't done it. Well, that it kind said, of.
0: They got to get over the hump, right? They got to win right. something. Right? That, that's still the end game. Well, I was going to say, it kind of feels like the Patriots where we went into that Buffalo playoff game. and It was like, they don't need to win for it to be a successful season. Like they got here, but then the nature in which they lost was so bad that you kind of had to take that back. It wasn't yeah. as bad, but there, it, 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 the series showed some glaring flaws with this team. Um, I think, you know, you saw the inexperience there, the fact that they had to take series to seven games. I think that showed up that all being said, I think the worst thing they could do. And I said this about the Patriots too. The worst thing they can do is overreact to this. Yeah. You got to the NBA finals after starting 18 to 21, you won two games in the finals against a generational core in, in Curry Thompson and and Draymond, who all eventually got going there by the end of the series. You know, the people Tatum's not number. Tatum's not a true number one. Jalen Brown shouldn't be here. Blow it up. No, no, no. This is a good core and Brad Stevens said pretty much as much this morning that they just got to kind of round out the edges. You know, yeah. I think they need, he, he, there were two areas he said they were looking to add. I would add a third personally and, and there could be overlap in some of these too. Con, more consistent bench score. Yes. You need yeah. that. And he even said that could come internally and maybe that's Aaron Neesmith. Okay. Right. I said, maybe I said, maybe I think, you know, I kind of look at it like we look at, you know, Kind of how we're looking at, at Josh Uche or Anthony yeah. Jennings or some of these guys right Uche is now, right? A good comp. Yeah. He's, I think he's, because in in Neesmith said, he said, I'm the shooting's there. He knows he's a good shooter. just, it's a mental thing right now. They can get that fixed. He's in the mix. I'm not saying I wouldn't bring in somebody else to compete. I'm not saying I'd give him the job, but he's in the mix. But more consistent bench scoring. They need a, a more, they need another playmaker, a, yeah. a true point guard, a pass first point guard. Those were the ones Brad said. I would add they need another true big just so Robert Williams doesn't have to play as much during the regular season. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be somebody in the rotation in the playoffs. But I wrote this morning, I looked at some draft picks, potential draft picks for them tomorrow, yeah. uh, Thursday night, uh, 985thesportsup.com. You know, I saw a chance to do draft coverage, Evan. I did it. We should have done a live Celtics mock draft on the show today. Should have. Um, and the I looked at a couple Lost. I looked at a couple guys. Travion Williams from Purdue is kind of a Robert Williams light. He's not as offensively capable. He's not as explosive, but it's the same, you know, same general idea. The other guy I really like is uh, Kofi Coburn from Illinois, 7-1, 270. His scouting report, they describe him as bringing the mentality of an offensive guard to the bat, like uh, in the NFL, to, to the basketball court. Just a guy who can eat some of those minutes in the middle, be a factor at the rim help you on the glass. And that way, Robert Williams maybe only has to play 25 minutes a night or can be on, on you know, a minutes restriction or or not have to play back-to-backs or whatever in a regular season. Those are three things. I think if they add those things, you get natural growth from Tatum, from Brown, even from Marcus Smart, from Robert Williams. I think you're in pretty good shape. The other thing they could do, they can swing big. They can move Al Horford's contract. They have some trade exceptions. Bradley Beal's a guy I think they could obviously go out and get. We've talked about him. Colin Sexton from Cleveland. I talk about Sexton. I don't know if Cleveland's giving him up, though. Well, he's a restricted free agent. Okay. And he apparently isn't very happy there. So I they couldn't sign him as a restricted free agent. They don't have the money to do that. But they could sign and trade with him. Um, he's a scorer. He's not a distributor. He doesn't play defense. Yeah. If you just want scoring on the second unit, Colin Sexton's 20 point, uh, 20, 20 point yeah, a 20-point-a-game guy. He's coming off in injuries. So you're buying low a little bit. The other guy like, Evan, you'll like this. You're a Duke fan. Tyus Jones.
1: Yeah. I love Tyus. Is a pending
0: free agent. The exact opposite distributor. And yeah. if you're haunted by the turnovers, he's the best turnover to assist ratio over the last four years in the NBA.
1: Yeah. Tyus Jones would be perfect because he's a. He's a work ethic guy, too. And yeah. he was playing on those Duke teams that were loaded around him. And he was just kind of he was the point guard. You know, he was the quarterback right. of those Duke teams. But he wasn't trying to take over. He was letting, you know, the, the number one picks in the draft and things like that uh, run the ship in terms of the offense. But he was distributing the basketball. I think uh, the two things that you said, you know, basically an upgrade on Daniel Tice. Right. Like I think that right. would be a yeah. good thing for the team. A backup wing that can score off the bench, I think, would be big because there's just a, so much, and I think, in the playoff run, and especially against Golden State, you could feel it. There's so much on Jalen and Jason's t- uh, you know, plate every single night that having another wing, like, you know, the Warriors, for, I think, really what won them the series outside of Steph Curry was Andrew Wiggins, right? And, yeah. and having a guy like Andrew Wiggins, who's another professional scorer and a professional basketball player that could – on any given night, give them 25 points. So it didn't all have to be on Steph's shoulders. That was such a critical part of the Warriors' run. And Andrew Wiggins is such a good player. I have so much more respect for him now, uh, watching him in that finals. So I think another wing that obviously provides scoring off the bench, I think that would really be a, a big thing for them as well. But ultimately, the number one thing, what 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 lost them the the series and what almost got them bounced in the playoffs? Quite frankly, twice was turnovers. Right? I mean, yeah. taking care of the basketball, and I think a lot of people, I, I tweeted it out like I would be in for a true point guard, and people are like, "Oh, that's not how the game is played anymore." Well, if you're building your team through two wing players like Jason and Jalen, you got to get those guys into their spots, right? Like they're right. They, them constantly catching the ball outside the three point line at the top of the key and then having to go one on five and score is not consistent offense, right? Like that's not a consistent way to score the basketball. What was so great about guys like Rajon Rondo when he was with the big three, you know, KG and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce is that those guys could work off the ball get into their heat zones and he would just get them the basketball where they needed the ball, like KG from the 18 footer or Pierce on the, on the, uh, you know, the turnaround jumpers from the high post and Ray obviously off the picks with the threes. That was what Rondo's job was. And it just made the life of the big three so much easier on offense. Cause when they were getting the basketball, they were getting it in places that they were comfortable with it. And right. it wasn't all on their shoulders to, playmate create off the dribble and score. It, it was just right there for him. It's, you know, it, like, it's just, I think that that's such a key part still, if you're going to build this way, if you're going to build through your point guard, if you're going to have Steph Curry, then obviously you don't need a true point guard. Like he is your point right. guard, but if you're going to build through your wings, then I think that they need to be helped out by a true point guard. And it's not anything against Marcus. Cause I still think that they can play, five man lineups with Marcus and this true point guard out there at the same time and go a little bit smaller because they do have the length on the perimeter, but they, they have to get Jalen and Jason better touches. Like their touches have to be in more prime scoring areas uh, than they were in the finals. And that takes a true point guard to be able
0: to go out there and do that. The, the other thing too, I would say, and and you mentioned Steph Curry there, Steph Curry is the exception of the rule. You're not getting Steph, like the Celtics aren't getting Steph Curry. Right. And I, people are going, oh, aside from the Warriors, they've won four in the last many? Aside from the Warriors, when's the last time a team with like a, a, a ball-dominant point guard, not a distributor, but like a ball-dominant point guard in yeah. a championship? Milwaukee, Giannis, the Lakers, LeBron, that was also Mickey Mouse ring. Toronto had Kawhi. You go back, it was LeBron's Cavs team, LeBron's yeah. Heat teams, that Mavericks. It, who was the point guard on that Mavericks team?
1: JJ Berea.
0: was kid there. No, J. J. okay. Barea. So they Jason Kidd. No, they Jason Kidd. I, I
1: think that was old Jason Kidd,
0: though. Um, if they did. I thought it was JJ Berea, Honestly, trying to find the stats here. Uh, no, Jason Kidd started eighty games. He averaged eight points, eight assists a game. JJ Baraya didn't really play it on. So you got to go back. You got to go back eleven years. You yeah. got to go back eleven years. Uh, you know kind of find the, the 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 last time that a team were like a top two top three players a point guard won a title you yeah. can do it without that you can't red sox are hot alex don't say it. they are hot they've also don't played i won't say it well part of the reason i won't say it, they've played absolutely nobody i mean they've just played the hey they took two out of league. three from the cardinals that's not nobody they did all oh, the cardinals have been been up and down this year um the thing for the Red Sox was, and I'll credit, you know, at Red Sox stats on Twitter for this. Cause he, he pointed this out and it's, it's pretty much the take. And he, he pointed this out when they were, they were under 500. I forget exactly what series they were coming off of here as I stalled to try to find these numbers. And I know we got to wrap the show up. Here it is. So on May 12th, the Red Sox had, you know, just lost that series in Toronto to the blue Jays. They were under 500 and the opponents since then, they went through this long stretch. You normally don't go this long without a divisional opponent. Texas, Houston, Seattle, Chicago, five against Baltimore, Cincinnati, Oakland, Anaheim, Seattle, Oakland, St. Louis, Detroit, Cleveland. Outside of Houston, and if, if you want to say St. Louis, that's the bottom of the league. Those are bad teams, right? And they took care of business. Yeah, They took care of business, and, and they got themselves back over five hundred. The season start, they got Detroit through Wednesday, and then they're back in the, I think they're back in the division, or there's one more series after Detroit. It's Cleveland over the weekend. Season starts next week. The Guardians are right there in the wild card race right now. Season starts next week. Yeah, You've got Toronto, then you've got the Yankees, the Razor in there as well. They played so poorly against the division at the beginning of the year. This is when you really got to get things going. So they've been hot. But if it doesn't carry over once they begin these divisional games, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, none of it will matter. And if they don't do anything at the deadline, none of it will matter. I don't know what's going on with Nathan Navaldi. I still think they need more pitching, plural. They need one starter. They need multiple relievers. They've got a way to go. But, I'll never fault a team for taking care of business. And that's what they've done over the last month and a half here. They took care of business against this weaker stretch. They've put themselves in position. We'll see what happens over this next stretch because, like you said, this is kind of a
1: after, you know, next week, once they get back in the division, it's a pretty big stretch for them. Right. And we'll see what ends up happening with how they play in the right. division. But at least with this, I think they've won five straight series. It's now, I think, at what is what I heard on the radio? Something like that. Yeah. At least there's a baseball season now, right? Like at least they look like they're right. The they'll they'll get us to camp. Yeah, yeah. At least there's a baseball season now, and they're somewhat in the mix. And, and now that with the three wild card but, format, they're they're definitely right there to to make the wild card uh,
0: round. And at least, but here's the thing: it looks round. like all of the wild card teams are going to be AL East teams. Yeah, six of the nine leading vote getters in the American League for the All Star uh, for the All Star Game or American League. And, and coming up six of their next after the Cleveland series, six of their next seven are against divisional teams. They got to win five of those series. And right. they, they've got it. They, they've they got to beat the Yankees over. They've got to gain ground on the Yankees because they're not going to gain ground on the Yankees against anybody else. I don't think they're out of the division. They're 13 back in June. I don't think they're out of the division because they have 16 left against the Yankees. That's huge. But that those seven, it's, it's six against the division, then one against the Cubs. They've got to keep it rolling through that. If, if they stutter, yeah. if they go 500 through that stretch, it's over.
1: Well, at least this, but I think game, actually,
0: I know we got to wrap it up. I think that takes us. When does camp
1: start the 26th? July 27th. They report on the 26th and the first day of camp's the 27th.
0: That stretch goes up to July 24th. There you go. So They will, they will take us right up to camp. There you go.
1: I love that. And and that's, what it, that's what I'm excited about, about this stretch with the Sox. There's a baseball season now, and, yeah. and now we can actually watch. a Oh, team you're excited way. for baseball! Oh my god! Well, what else it's am I going to do? The date and time. There, there's no, there's no other sports on. Jess, hear
0: you say that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Jess likes baseball, so that that oh, that's a, that's another part of it as well. And uh, we were at Fenway. I don't I don't want to even say what 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 game we were at because it was not the good one against the Cardinals. The jinx continues the jinx continues. Uh we also uh, maybe I you're going to make me sell my tickets. We also have tickets to Red Sox Yankees in August. So
0: uh, All right. So that's one they're losing. <laughs>
1: Thanks. All right. So Alex and I will be back on Thursday for Throwback Thursday. We're doing Richard Seymour on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. We're see richard seymour i mean we could I, are we gonna be able to the find Richard's clips tired. it's gonna be tough we could barely yeah, find we'll, we'll, we'll see I'll, I'll look through some things and see if there's enough clips for us to do seymour if not then we could pivot to gronk he is retired right i mean uh, that. We, we could uh we could relive some of the patriots gronk days Don't you can't worry, even though.
0: really no. like break down gronk tape though it's just looking at it and being like wow nobody's ever done that before yeah so. wow this guy is freaking huge okay like what are we gonna break down that washington play
1: We're going to go X's and O's on him
0: shaking three guys off his back. like That's true. All right, we'll look into it. We're probably
1: leaning Richard Seymour for throwback Thursday on on Thursday, obviously. So we'll see you guys on Thursday afternoon, and then we'll be back next week on Tuesday for another Q&A. So if we didn't get to your question today, come back a week from tonight, and we'll have another Q&A session for you guys and we can break down uh, some more Patriots and uh, Red Sox and, and Celtics and whatever at the end of the show. But until next time signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching everybody. And we'll see you Thursday.